everyone. We welcome you in the game, a podcast that puts together business and sports and analyzes the business of sports. This is Vladimir Bosanets. I'm one of your co-hosts today, coming in from Seattle, Washington. And together with my good friend and co-host Anam Punjabi, we'll bring some of the more interesting sports business stories in the news today. Anand. Hi, Vlad, and welcome, everyone. This is Anand Punjabi, providing you perspective from London, England. Vlad and I love bringing our listeners some disruptive analysis of today's sports business topics and themes. Today will be no exception, Vlad. Our listeners are going to love today's show. I think so. In today's podcast, we sit down with John Patrikoff, one of the co-founders and CEO of Athletes Unlimited, an innovative sports league that this month will be kicking off its second league, a women's professional volleyball league in Dallas, Texas. Athletes Unlimited has already started a successful women's professional softball league, and this is the second iteration of a new model of play. So stay tuned for that conversation that I have with John. To get started, however, Vlad and I cast our eye over two noteworthy items that came across our desks this week. The first looks at the incredible numbers behind Cristiano Ronaldo's social media. We then discuss the heated debate surrounding the NBA All-Star Game. And to close things out, we're going to look at why a three-square-inch polyester patch is worth apparently tens, if not hundreds of millions of dollars. Expensive real estate. That it is. So kick back and get ready to get in the game with us. Anand. Hi, Vlad. How are you? I'm very well. I'm very well. How's it going uh, in the Pacific Northwest? Pacific Northwest was hit with about a foot of snow a few days ago. And, you know, very, very characteristically for this region and melted within a couple of days as well. So it was it was all kind of fun and games uh, on Sunday. And then it's all gone by, you know, midweek here. Well, I think that's perfect. You know, the kids get to enjoy it. You see all that whiteness and then you don't have to schlep around in it for much. much that's more. right. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Yeah. And it is a little bit warmer. So that's that's kind of nice. But anyway, uh, so we have a couple of stories here to share with our with our audience. Uh, Anna, you're going to kick us off with the first one, right? So a uh, nice big fat number came uh, out of the wires this week. Half a billion, 500 million is the number. And that relates to... The number of social media followers or fans or likes, however each platform likes to describe them, that Cristiano Ronaldo has. So he's the first person on the planet, the first entity on the planet to hit (laughs) entity. Yeah, yeah, half a billion social media fans. So he's very excited, and uh, and the world is celebrating this this week. Yeah, that was an amazing number. And I think it's going to actually change uh, quite a lot of things if it already hasn't. What what have you seen in terms of like how this how this breaks down? The big one is Instagram. I think that's the platform that most individuals, you know, build their brand around, as we all know. Two hundred and sixty-three yep. million fans on Instagram, hundred and forty seven million on Facebook. Okay. And ninety-one million uh on Twitter. So that brings us to half a billion and and growing wow. rapidly you know this isn't easing off right now his his numbers are getting uh, bigger and bigger uh, in a linear fashion so you know he is he is the number one media personality globally 
That is interesting. What, what's also interesting here, Anand, is as you were sharing these these figures, is that essentially the the, the Facebook platforms, if you combine Instagram and Facebook together, are about you know eighty percent of that, right? The Twitter number is not insignificant, but it's a lot smaller. Yes. Uh, I wonder if he's going to start looking at stuff like you know TikTok and some of these other platforms that are coming online, also. But this is this is tremendous, um, and it also it also begins kind of this whole discussion which we've had over the last couple of months about sort of disintermediation, right, and allowing these athletes to effectively create their own brands. The internet has provided the platforms for them now to be themselves. They are no longer necessarily just part of a larger organization, just part of a team. They are individuals. You know, Ronaldo as an athlete beats out. You know, very famous uh, media celebrities, uh, Dwayne Johnson, The Rock, Selena okay. Gomez, Kim Kardashian, Justin Bieber. You know, he's, 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 he's bigger than these if you look at these social media numbers. Yeah. If we compare them to teams, you know, the biggest teams as far as social media numbers go are European soccer teams, Real Madrid, Barcelona, Juventus. Okay. But none of them even come up to a fifth of what uh, Cristiano brings in. <laughs> yeah. So it really yeah. is and, an and, individual. And Juventus is his club too, right? So Juventus the fact that... <laughs> and, you know, there are some good analogies here because Ronaldo is earning $50 million a year from Instagram and $36 million a year from Juventus as his salary. Interesting. So yeah. I guess Mark Zuckerberg really is paying him more <laughs> than, <laughs> than Juventus where he plies his trade. Well, and this is part of why I mentioned that this intermediation, right, is that is that given these platforms and the global nature of these platforms, these athletes are really able to, you know, garner some amazing, you know, you know, revenues essentially by virtue of being who they are. It begs the question, though, like you know, given where the money is coming from, and also given the fact that you know Ronaldo is at this point kind of the twilight years of of his career. How does he convert that into an ongoing thing, right? And is he going to be known just for being Ronaldo versus being a soccer player, right? I think Ronaldo is probably an, an outlier. You know, he's he is really, you know, he's already come out and said uh, publicly that, you know, post-playing, he intends to focus on his brands, not yeah. only the third-party brands that he lends his name to in return for, you know, fantastic sponsorship deals, but he has his own brands. You know, he has his own perfume. He has his own line of uh, underwear, sporting, sport, sportswear line, et cetera. So yeah. he's, he's going to use his personal name to build brands around, you know, around himself. I remember years ago, Anand, you probably also remember this, but Greg Norman, you know, during his, during his sort of top years in golf, yeah. uh, you know, took an equity share in Cobra, the, you know, driver. And really, sort of transformed the company. I think the company was really nowhere in in, in terms of being known. Yes. But then he kind of became an you know an, an an owner essentially, and that was like a genius, you know, financial move for for an athlete at at that time. And then, but now this is evolving. And even last in our last show when we spoke with Matt Doherty, he brought this up in a very different context, but similar. Basically saying, you know, kids are now alive. Uh, kids are now arriving to college with something like a million followers on 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 Instagram and you know social media, and their first questions for the school and for the coaches, like you know, how are you helping me extend my brand? Right? These are conversations that are now happening with teenagers, which is which is very interesting. And it kind of reminded me of a of a of a camp that my daughter took a couple of years ago. It was held by this um, you know Brazilian volleyball player Giba. He was the 
captain of the Brazilian, uh, you know, Olympic team that played in London and, and, and some of the other Olympics. And, you know, he's retired now and does camps and stuff like that. But before every session, he would do, you know, he would take his phone and do like a little, like a little video of himself <laughs> that he would immediately then post over to, you know, social media. And it just kind of goes to show that, like, this is how I guess these athletes decide to make money, right? It's the number of followers going, going forward. I guess it's you know it's a way for them also to to stay relevant to stay in the eye of um, you know their public to build their public up. That's right. Yeah. You know, we remember in the '90s, tennis star Anna Kornikova. Yeah. People still talk about her today, you know, a little bit, and there's only two things they really mention. Number one, that she actually never won a senior singles title. Yeah. But she, ironically, she was the highest paid female athlete on the planet for about three years in the early 2000s. She had incredible sponsorship deals because she looked great. She's a very beautiful woman. She yep. had a great smile. She was very marketable. And can you imagine where she would have been had Instagram been around in those days? Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I think, I think, I think again, part of that disintermediating aspect of this is, you know, are you going to have personalities like this that might be even better known to, you know, to the audiences for who they are rather than what they do? And, um, and I think this is only going to uh, grow. So kind of an interesting, an interesting marker and an interesting sort of point in time in terms of where this is evolving. Yeah. It's only going in that direction, I feel. Yeah. 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 What have we got next, Vlad? Well, I've got a quick story here for us uh, focused on the NBA All-Star Weekend. So it's coming up on March 7th in Atlanta, and there's been uh, some rumblings throughout the league about the timing and whether the game should even be you know, be held. Uh, some players are obviously concerned about their health and the health of their you know, families. At least one player lost a lost a mother yes, uh, to you know, right. to you know COVID, you know. But I was a little surprised, uh, I have to say, because you know the the it's not like the league is not going on. It's not like these players are not traveling. And before we kind of get into some of the reasons why I was surprised about it, what do you think? Like, are you surprised that 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 they're pushing back? That they're using now health as a as a reason to not have the All Star Game? Well. You know, first of all, I suppose the good thing is that it's a very small proportion of, you know, the entire NBA roster, 400 plus players. Right. So, right. so it's not a huge sample, but obviously we are talking about the players who are participating. I feel as though there are some disparate interests involved, uh, you know, particularly this year. Okay. We know that overall revenues are down, you know, in, in stadium revenues are down, yep. in arena revenues are down. So the NBA has to find ways, teams have got to find ways to to build up revenues, you know, from other channels. And, and the league itself. And the league itself, precisely. Yeah, I say, I say that collectively. You know, as we were discussing, obviously, we know the players haven't really missed out, right? They've been paid in full, they've got their bonuses, they're still, still participating in the profit share. So so they're they're okay. But the league's the marketers, the brands relying on this hugely popular game mid-season mm -hmm. where the audience yep. is so well engaged, looking forward to the slam dunk contest, you know, the, the rookie game, you know, they're looking forward to these festivities. There's more at stake here than just whether the players are tired a little bit and they wanted a break. You know, there, there is money involved, you know, which flows out to, to many different entities. Yeah. That's exactly right. And and this is about money. I mean, I'm I'm not trying to sort of shy away from that conversation. Where I'm surprised, and I think you you touched upon some of these points also, 
but yeah, um, the the league was hurt financially. The teams are hurt financially. You know, the stadiums and you know municipalities that maybe you know rely on the tax revenue were hurt financially. Also, yes. The only kind of part in, during COVID, the only group that I think you know cashed in on all of their guarantees were the players. Actually, yeah, and yep. you know, deservedly so. I'm not saying that they shouldn't have, but my point is, it's okay now for the league to say, hey, this is you know, a long-term partnership that we have with you and this game, which by the way, um, uh, so TNT is the, is the, is the network that is broadcasting the all-star game. And it's some, somewhere the, you know, window between sort of 30 and $60 million is what the NBA is going to make from, from this weekend from, from them. So it's a big deal for TNT and for the league, yeah. but also, you know, we were talking about these athletes, you know, creating their own brand. This is a, this is a perfect example of a of a sort of this is kind of like a Super Bowl for the NBA, but it's more fun in a sense that it's non consequential. You know, like there's no winner, there's no loser. It doesn't matter who wins or loses, right? Yeah, that's right. But at the same time, it's a global event. It'll be seen across the world. Yep. These players will play, and they're going to have some amazing, you know, shots and some dunks and whatever. The images are going to go around the world. They're going to help build their brand. And I just feel like it's a little bit one-sided in the sense that all of a sudden now they're saying, hold up, we may need some time off. This, you know, the disease is serious. But I feel like they should just sort of not criticize it and and get on with it. Uh, that's my sort of feeling about it because, again, it is helping their league overall. And you and I know that, you know, the league kicked off right before Christmas. And I think there were some estimates that if if it had kicked off somewhere, you know, past Christmas in mid-January, the NBA would have lost something like $500 million. This is a huge amount of money for a league that generates, you know, eight, nine billion dollars a year. So I, I that's what surprised me is that, you know, they were criticizing it, but at the end of the day, everybody's benefiting from it. Right. Well the revenues that are generated from the All-Star game ultimately kick back to the players, right? It may not be the largest proportion of the overall revenues, but it does pay some of their salary. Yeah, uh, so it's a little bit disingenuous. I feel for them to say we don't want to play in this game. They must realize that the revenues that are generated do feed down, you know, through the unions yeah. to all the yeah. players. Yeah, they do. They do. Yeah, I understand the safety considerations. You know, the NBA was very proactive. They did a great job last season with the bubble. They understand safety protocols. Yeah. They know how to test. They know how to maintain the various social distancing protocols that need to be in place. They're experienced at this now. I'm not convinced that the pandemic at this stage is really a convincing argument. Uh, yeah, to not I agree. I agree. Well, anyway, we'll follow that and uh, watch the game in a couple of weeks anyway. So when we come back, we're going to sit down for a one-on-one -on -one interview with John Petrikoff, the co-founder and CEO of Athletes Unlimited. From February 27th through March 29th, Athletes Unlimited will be hosting a women's professional volleyball league in Dallas, Texas. Athletes Unlimited Volleyball is officially sanctioned by USA Volleyball and will feature 44 of the world's best players, including seven Olympians from five different countries, accomplished professional players, and recent NCAA graduates during its 30-game season. This league is the second one that the organization started, and volleyball is its second sport as well. But this league is going to be a little different. It will feature a new way to score. It will feature a live scoreboard with each player standing. The players will, in essence, compete against each other. 
which is interesting because this is a team sport, but it's very innovative and we're excited to see how this unfolds. The games will be broadcast on CBS and Fox and also streamed via a number of digital platforms too. So without further ado, here's my conversation with John. John, how's it going? How are you? Good, good. Great to be with you today. Where are you today? Uh, I'm speaking to you from Dallas, Texas. Okay. North Texas, which has had a little bit of a weather pattern uh, come through the last couple of hours, last few hours there, right? To say the least, it's uh, it's some pretty serious weather conditions. Not Definitely not what I had expected um, when we decided to locate our first uh, volleyball uh, league here in uh, in Dallas. It's definitely not the weather I was yeah, expecting. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, th- this is one of those where, you know, in hindsight, you're going to look back and it'll be just a wonderful story to tell, right? And then we had this happen and then the storm of the century happened and, you know, all of those things kind of combined, right? So hopefully it's a good omen, I think, right? Never a dull moment when you're in the sports world. And uh, thankfully, you know, listen, it, it's, it's, the reality is it's affecting a lot of people's lives in a very serious way. So That's we right. always try to keep it in perspective, That's that, right. you know, yeah. keep everybody health and safety. But but in a year where, you know, running pro sports leagues and dealing with COVID, and I'm sure we'll talk a lot about that, has been a challenge, you know, adding adding the kind of adverse weather conditions on top of it, power outages and transportation challenges. It's uh you know, hey, if it was easy, everybody would be doing it. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Great. Well, John, just as uh, as an as an introduction, tell us a little bit about you know yourself, about Athletes Unlimited, kind of how you how the organization came about before before we get into some of the league sort of specific stuff, but more about kind of how the organization was started and where you guys wanted to take it when when you had that you know fateful breakfast morning you know a couple of years ago. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. So just a little bit of background on myself. Um, I've been in the media entertainment, you know, and sports world kind of my, my entire career. Started at Disney a long time ago. I then spent 11 years at Tribeca uh, Film Festival, Tribeca Enterprises with Robert De Niro and his partners, helping build the Tribeca Film Festival after 9-11. Uh, and then I moved into the pro sports world. So I was at uh, New York City Football Club, which is the MLS team in New York. And I ran that team for three years. And in my third year there, I started to think a lot about uh, the women's side of the game and where I saw opportunities. I'd seen such growth in MLS and MLS team valuations, but women's sports and the game I thought was still not where it didn't match up to the potential of the athletes and the resonance of the athletes and the following that so many of these athletes had. So I started to spend some time really thinking about women's soccer and then more broadly women's sports. And about that time, I reconnected with Jonathan Soros, who's a, a longtime you know, friend and somebody I've known. And we started to talk about that idea. And Jonathan really started to say, well, what if you got into pro sports, but you really rethought the model? Don't go go buy a team in an existing league or replicate what's being done on the men's side. What if we really created an innovative format that kind of redefined how pro sports was working and meet fans where they're going, not kind of where they've been. And that was the genesis of Athletes Unlimited. It goes back now you know, two years. And we spent a a good year planning and talking and working on it. And then last March, so almost a year ago, we announced the launch of Athletes Unlimited. Yeah. And your idea behind this started with, you know, one sport in particular, right? But tell us a little bit about sort of how that evolved from, you know, launching into softball to now professional volleyball to then other sports. You know, when you think of it as a platform, how did that thought evolve? Yeah, so so it actually really starts at at the beginning. The concept for Athletes Unlimited was what if you create a, a sports league where you have a short season and you actually do it in one location 
and you change the scoring system up. So it's not all based around fixed teams. It's not, it's not the Chicago team against the New York team and all about rivalry between cities, which in a lot of new leagues feels quite frankly for us a little forced. It feels like, you know, it's one thing if you're talking about, you know, teams that are around a hundred years, but the fact that leagues start up overnight and then try to kind of create these artificial associations with, with their particular city, we thought that just didn't make as much sense. And there are already a lot of those teams. So our model was what if you created around the athletes and you really do all the scoring in these team sports around the athletes themselves. And so you bring a group of players together, one city, and the players get points based on how well their team does and how well they do. And they switch teams each week. And at the end of the, end of the season, there'd be you know a player atop the leaderboard who'd have been the best team player and the best individual player as a compilation. And they'd win the league. And, and we were like, this is an idea that really leans into the concept that there are so many women athletes that have these big followings, that have had fans that followed them since you know their career in college and then into the pros. And that was really the idea. And, and when we started out with that idea, it's funny you say this, Softball actually wasn't the first sport. We actually were open to a whole wide range of sports. We thought about basketball. We thought about hockey. We thought about soccer. And then we really kind of, we did at one point in our earliest days, we like put a piece of paper together and a spreadsheet and we said, okay, here are all the sports. And then we came up with all these criteria and we kind of ranked them. And softball and actually volleyball very early on came out really, really high on that matrix because they're sports that have big followings that don't have pro leagues where there was a lot of demand in the United States for these sports. Um, you know, and I can tell you more about each one. So those really were the way it came out. And hockey was actually on the list too early on and, and, and some others, but we found some great people in, in softball that we could partner with. And that was the first league that really started to get real traction. Yeah. Interesting. And it, one of the other things that you considered as, as, as we discussed this a couple of weeks ago, when, when, when we first chatted, John, but, but you said part of your ideation was this notion that that the fans are following the players, right, more and more. And so there's kind of like a shift maybe demographically or just socially, right, how we look at sports. Tell us a little bit about that too. Yeah, so about the same time we were working on, you know, we're working on all this for Athletes Unlimited and, and we're kind of, again, this before we even decided on softball, we actually met, Angela Ruggiero and Josh Walker, who run an organization called Sports Innovation Lab. And they had come up with this paper, which is a great white paper. If you know anybody who's listening hasn't you know, read it, they should go. And it's called The Fluid Fan. It's about the age of the fluid fan. And when you think about where fandom is heading, there are a few things that they identified. And we were like, this is exactly what we think. So things like well, the first one you mentioned, which is the biggest one, is, is fans have changed a lot in their behaviors. Think about how many fans have followed, you know, great players like LeBron James or, or Kevin Durant or so many others throughout their career and have gone from from being a fan of, you know, the Cavaliers to a fan of the Lakers and, and love LeBron and followed him. And, and you see that a lot in the NBA and it's been a big part of their model of success. So that's one example. The second is there is more of a concept of global fandom nowadays than there's ever been before, right? Sports has been, was hyper-local for a long time. Sure. But now think of all the fans that follow teams like Liverpool or, or Manchester City or who've never even been to those cities but, but kind of know about these Premier League teams just as a concept. And so that concept that you just supported your local team has really changed. So we love that concept of kind of global, not tied specifically to a geography uh, concept. And then values, really. Just we think that sports in the future really care a lot about their teams. You know, yes, they care about them winning, but they also care a lot about them, about their you know, values and what they stand for. And we really felt like with women's sports in particular, you know, there's a lot of people out there who love the high level of competition, love the excitement, but also really are associated with organizations that felt like they were the, doing the right thing. And that was important to us. And then finally, 
it was really about media models, which is, I think we found at Athletes Unlimited, live games still matter, TV still matters, but you have to have one foot into that world, but you have to have the other foot, you know, firmly planted in the, yeah. in the, in the new media storytelling world. And that's been a, really a crux of it, which is we use each of our leagues and each of our games as kind of a, as really a backdrop to tell the stories of these athletes on and off the field. Yeah. The typical sort of sports model is that you have a, you know, group of teams and there's an association, which I guess is technically owned by those teams. And the role of the association is to, or the league essentially is to sort of execute the bylaws, if you will, of that. Uh, you know, of that organization, given that, you know, you and, and your company owns the league, do you also let athletes participate in, in the ownership somehow? Yeah, that's a, it's a major, major part of uh, what we're doing. So we've gone back and actually thought about this. It's actually not, it wasn't the, one of the first ideas, but it very quickly became clear as we started to kind of work into, into softball and we met some of the initial players, um, who we thought would would be potential like players to sign on. We just realized how important they could be in helping us make the right decisions and we kind of decided early on we didn't want to like just go start a league that and, and then find out if the players were interested. We really wanted to only build something if they were interested. So we started to work with them. We threw out this idea of athletes unlimited and then we said what do you think or like what if we tweak this or what's how's this going to work? When should we do this in the season? Where should we do this? All right, what if you think the scoring works this way? And so gradually we just started to find ourselves making almost every decision with the the first few players that signed and then we talked about okay so so now we need to build out the league and we realized we're not going to be the ones to decide who to who to play why don't you guys decide who you'd want to be in a league you know pick great players but also pick players that you know you're going to want to work with that you think are going to be good contributors and so all of a sudden the model really started to be working for us and we we've evolved that formally into what we call a player executive committee in each sport where in softball or volleyball or lacrosse there's a group of uh four to five women in each of those sports and they we meet with them weekly and we go through every decision and as i said they handle recruitment of players we work together on a ton of different commercial things and business operations and a whole other set of stuff that i obviously oversee and run but but they're fundamentally involved at every level yeah, and all the revenue that you guys received is that then shared back with the athletes, or is it on like a you know fifty fifty split as you know typically leagues in the in the professional world do? So the model right now and and will continue to be is so the athletes obviously receive base compensation, bonus compensation, benefits, and then they have a share in the profits that is going to grow actually over time, and they share in the profits for a period of twenty years. So if a player plays, you know. This year, they'll share in the profits this year, and then they'll share in the profits for 19 years into the future. And I think like most startup ventures, you know, this is still there, – there's there's a pathway to profitability, but yeah. it's not going to be – it's not going to be immediate, certainly. So uh, we thought it was important that those players had a stake in kind of what they're building building long term. I agree with that 100%. And when, when the incentives are aligned and <laughs> so are the goals and stuff, right? Great. So in about a week or in, in the next few days, you have this league in Dallas kicking off. Uh, it's the Professional Volleyball League. There's been a few kind of starts and stops of a professional women's volleyball league in the U.S. before. I am from Europe, so you know there is you know very advanced professional women's volleyball there, and I think most of the you know really really good women out of college usually go to Europe if if or Asia or someplace like 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 that. So so this is a great venue for them to, you know, participate. Tell us a little bit about sort of, you know, specifically how this is going to roll out. So you talked a little bit about, you know, the players picking their own teams and different type of scoring, different type of sort of game management. 
But now that this is rolling out in the next few days, you know, maybe give us an example of, of how exactly this is, this is going to roll out. Yep, absolutely. So, so what happens is um, right now, I'm, I'm calling, you know, speaking to you from Dallas, last week, 44 of the best players in the world arrived. Um, we have players here from mostly from the United States, but we have uh, Shayla Castro, who's from Brazil, one of the great players of all time around the world, but in a major star in Brazil. We have Betty De La Cruz from the Dominican Republic. We have a number of other players from other countries around the world. And then Jordan Larson, who is the captain of the U.S. Women's National Team. She actually just got back from playing in China, where she was playing in the Chinese League, which she's played in for a couple of years. She finished her season. And now she's coming here. So we've got a mix of players who've either played some part of the season internationally and now coming back to the United States to play again with us, or some players who opted out of international play because they really wanted to be in the United States. I mean, I think one of the hard things, and you mentioned it, for a lot of female athletes across sports, not just volleyball, is that the only real opportunities have been overseas. And so you graduate from college, you're playing in front of a packed stadium, you know, 20,000 people, you know, you're coming off the NCAA championship, and then you have to go live halfway around the world by yourself for seven months at a time. So when they, when we came up with this, you know, and told them they were really enthusiastic about it. And then obviously the big thing was, are we going to have the top level competition here? So we have great level competition. The athletes arrive there. We're all living here in, in a modified bubble. Um, obviously we're dealing with COVID times. So they're living in, we're all living in the same hotel. There's regular COVID testing, heavy protocols. And then they've been in practices already. And then starting this weekend, we'll have our first scrimmages. And then next week there'll be the first draft. Like I described, there'll be four captain selected they'll pick their teams they'll practice with those teams and then they'll play three each player will be on uh, play three matches over the course of a, of a weekend saturday sunday monday and the players get points in each of those matches based on how well does their team do they get points for every set that their team yep. wins and also for the match and then they get points based on skills performance and it's worthwhile mentioning that because different players play different roles that, that there's they score differently as well right so correct and that's an important aspect of it because I think you mentioned to me, you know, like, you know, a libero could be the best player or the highest scorer, you know, on a team, even though that person doesn't, you know, generate any kills, right? Which is sort Correct. of a traditional way of kind of evaluating a volleyball player, right? That's exactly so, – so you've just summarized it perfectly. So, so what we obviously had to do was – and we've worked over the course of – softball was its own process that took us months. Volleyball has taken us the course of like – basically since we announced it was seven, eight months that we've been working on this volleyball scoring system. We've worked with a couple of people who have deep expertise in volleyball itself. Chris McGowan is our director of sporting. We've been working with somebody whose name is Joe Trinzi, a lot of people who have like deep volleyball experience. And then we brought in um, on our end – people who have a lot of kind of data science and, and analytics abilities. And we worked together on a lot of data sets and we came up with a scoring system where, as you said, the individual statistics work such that we balance it out so that each, each, the points are weighted so that we give, like, as you said, Liberos chances to win uh, and score individual points. The main, the main factor in your scoring, in your score in Athletes Unlimited is still how does your team perform? Sure. But, but individual scoring does matter a lot. And it was important for us to really work the data and make sure we got it right. So you get points, for example, for, you know, for serving, you get, you know, certain number of points for an ace and, and you, you know, lose points if you, if you have an error, you know, then for an attack, you know, you get points for, a killer for an error setting, you get again points for an assist or an error, digging 
points for dig or, or there's actually no errors for digging and then passing, sure. you know, get points for, for a good pass or, or an error. So, and then blocks. So each category is weighted accordingly and it's going to be awesome. Like, you know, you're going to be watching a match. You're going to see this, this leaderboard moving. And each time there's a play, there's some points that are being earned by, by people on the, on the court and they're moving up and down the leaderboard. So it's going to be, it's going to be pretty exciting in terms yeah, of just that was, action. that was my follow up question. So will you kind of keep score of what's going on in each set, but then at the same time, you know, this live leaderboard will be kind of, you know, tabulating what each player is also, you know, receiving in terms of points every time they touch the ball effectively, right? Correct. That's exactly right. Interesting. <laughs> very, very interesting. Um, I wonder if that's going to create some kind of a weird dynamic where, okay, I need five more to beat, you know, her on the other eye, on, you know, you know, the other side. Um, and, and if that's going to cause some kind of a, you know, different sort of behavior in terms of um, how they play, uh, which is very interesting. So we worried about that going into the into the softball season, definitely, right? We're worried that you know somebody's going to steal a base when they you know have no right stealing a base because they're going to try to get points. So the, the system, um, we didn't see that at all. It didn't happen. First of all, because the win points are so important. Um, second of all, because at the end of the day, and I should you know mention this, the captains of the teams who are fellow players are making the decisions about who's playing the game and and who's not. So I think good team behavior is incentivized because if if you're not the captain and you start doing that i think you can assume you know you know how you'll be drafted and you know where you'll be played and or not played for that matter and then like you know third of all i think that we develop a scoring system where there's intensive for for doing things well but there you know you lose points if you don't do it well so you can't just go out and be reckless and you know the simple example of course in softball was like you know yes you're gonna get points if you steal the base but you're gonna lose points if you if you if you get caught so you know we try to regulate that and i think you find it works really well the players end up really loving it. The focus will be for them largely on how is their team performing. Again, that's the big part of their of their overall points and it's the most visible. But I think what it means is that, like we said, every single action and you know has has you know stakes on on, yeah. on, on the line. And volleyball is already an exciting sport and and that's one of the things that makes it you know such a great a great sport to begin with. But I think for this it's gonna make it even better. And what I think again going back to the idea what really happens with the leaderboard and what we love about it so much is that we do think there are a lot of fans who are going to, you know, really get attached or are attached already to one player, right? They may have gone to a college they followed or they may play in the league or you, know, you can think of Shayla, for example, you know, coming out of Brazil and the number of Brazilian fans that we're going to have who are really behind her. Jordan, you know, was a, is a huge, huge star from the University of Nebraska and he's a huge following there. So all the people who followed them from their career. Yeah, it'd be exciting to support Jordan's team, but how much more fun that, you know, you're following just literally how Jordan performs, you know, week in and week out, game in, game out, and, uh, you know, get updates on her and really watch her and all that stuff. And, that, yeah. and that's where we think the, the real energy will be from a yeah. fan perspective. And it's probably also worthwhile mentioning how long is the tournament going to be? And then and then just to sort of reinforce, the teams do switch every week. Is that is that correct? Correct. That's exactly right. So the teams switch every week. So, so we'll kick off February 27th, which is a Saturday. We'll play matches Saturday, Sunday, and Monday. There'll be double headers each week. The, I should tell you, the games are broadcast in a few different places. So some games are on Fox Sports 1 or Fox Sports 2. Some games are on CBS Sports Network. And then some games, about 8 of the 30 matches throughout the, the season, will be on uh, a combination of Twitch, Facebook, YouTube, Daily Motion, and Twitter. So you'll basically okay. be free to be able to watch them wherever you want. So 8 of the 30, you can watch no matter whether you have TV or you don't have TV subscription. And then 22 are, are, are on traditional television. But the season runs five weeks in length. So 
that first weekend and then it'll repeat for four more weekends and it'll all culminate at the end of March. And, you know, the schedule, you go to our website, AUProSports.com and you go to schedule and you can see where that particular match that day is going to be televised or, or streamed. And also all the, all the matches, all 30 will be available around the world globally across the digital platforms I just mentioned as well. So big part of this, right. And, and you, you mentioned like, you know, you mentioned leaks coming and going. I mean, first of all, when Jonathan Soros said to me, let's let's not go get involved with one of the existing leagues that go start our own league, I said to him, you're crazy. Do you know how hard it is to start a sports league? <laughs> yeah. But the fact is, it's not just women's sports. The reality is on the men's side as well, you know, leaks, you know, have come and gone. Look what look what's happened in football recently, whether it's in the XFL or, or the Alliance of American Football. I mean, th- th- it is difficult. So why we think we're better positioned and what we're excited about is we really do think the, the economic model we have is, is a much more sustainable one. I think these leagues that have started up and tried to have teams in 10 or 12 or 15 markets right off the bat and supporting all these teams and all the travel, it never made sense to me, uh, especially they're all renting venues and putting so much money into things that ultimately I don't believe are that important in this next generation. Again, going back to the fluid fan, it, you know, yeah. wh- why invest in renting a venue and trying to sell seats? The reality is you need to tell stories and connect athletes to global fan base. And, you know, that's really our focus. I, I always love the statistic that something like 98% of LA Laker fans or, or, or Manchester city fans have never and will never go to a game. Yeah. They just have loved and followed the teams, you know, through TVs and Instagram and buying the buying the merchandise and that's what we're built for. Yeah. I know you've told me this when we chatted a few weeks ago, but there is a minimum amount of money that these players are, you know, going to make so their five weeks uh-huh. is worth their time, obviously, right? Yeah. And is the league set up in such a way based on the number of people you have who were interested in joining the league? You know, what if like double the number of players came or did you limit it at one point and basically said, you know, there's going to be a hundred or 150 or, you know, you know, whatever the number is. How did you come up with, with that equilibrium? And then, you know, tell us a little bit about the sort of compensation model that, that these players can then anticipate. Yeah. So we started out with the premise of basically four teams and, 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 and so that's the number. So, so in the case of softball, it was 56 players, made up four teams in this case in volleyball it's 44 making up four teams so yep. it's you know in volleyball 11 11 per team there was maybe a discussion to go a little bit bigger or you could have maybe gone a little bit smaller but but 44 is a, a good number and I, I think you know four teams first of all was a good manageable number to start with we didn't know if we might expand but I think that our our, our model at least as it is it works really well because we're going to be able to uplift all 44 of the players and, and really give them each the attention and, and visibility that we want to give. To players in the league. I think in, in the future, when we talk about expansion, you know, already with softball that went so well, we've announced season two will be again, August, September back in the Chicago area. But when we think about the future of softball, and I think we'll be doing the same in volleyball and other sports, um, is should we set up a second season? So maybe there's a spring season of, uh, of softball, or yeah. maybe there's a feeder league. I don't think we believe that the season, we don't want it to come back and look like a traditional league, right? With 20 teams and, you know, t- 10 markets and, four months or five month seasons like that. That's exactly the opposite of what we're trying to do. I think we like this, this model. And then from a compensation standpoint, the players get base compensation, they get their bonuses, and then they have the share of the profits over the long term. So, you know, players in least in softball, you know, we're making more with athletes unlimited in a course of a, of a short season than they were used to making in a traditional five month season in the United States. So we think very, very attractive. In the case of volleyball, I think you're right. It's a much, much more competitive marketplace. So we're putting together a package that obviously 
I think the athletes will, and they've already started to say it to us, they, they feel really, really well taken care of. We're providing all the housing, all the food, all the tr- transportation, and then in addition, trying to take them and take really treat them the way they deserve to be treated, like credible professional athletes. And I think, you know, that's not always the way it works overseas. Yes, I can, I can attest to that. Right. So you yeah. know, definitely, I think there's some certainly some players getting big salaries, but they have you know sometimes issues with how they get sorted out at the end of the day. The other and the last thing I think I would say that's really important for us with respect to these athletes is one of the things that, that the big leagues have done a better job of over the you know the past let's say ten years, whether it's the NBA or NFL, or, is, is supporting the players off the field. I mean, there's you know whether it's been you know you're seeing so the rise of these you know entrepreneurs who've learn so much about business or gets different types of support or whether it's mental health or wellness, all this. And we're trying to do that right from the start, which is very uncommon in a startup league. It just doesn't happen. And so we're really committed to that. We've worked on a, a really pretty robust program that, that helps them both from a financial literacy, literacy standpoint, health and wellness, all of those kind of key temples of what it means just to be, you know, a healthy, good, and, 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 you know, a human, and, and that goes beyond kind of what happens on the field. Sure, and that's the advantage of sort of not having a legacy, essentially, and kind of starting right. from, from scratch, right, and kind of thinking of all the things that matter today in this day and age, right, which should be, Absolutely. Which, is, which is very different. Really quickly, how do the fans, you know, participate? I think there's a way for them to be a part of this league other than just watching, correct? Absolutely. So, First of all, when you do watch, I think what you're going to see is you're going to see the games, but you're going to see a huge level of storytelling and also just fan interactivity. You're going to see cameras in different angles than you've ever seen. You're going to see the cameras mic'd up. You're going to see a really interactive experience, but but it does go way beyond that. So as a fan, uh, we've launched something called the Unlimited Club, where you can join it for free or you can pay for kind of a, a, a higher tier membership. But once you um, pay for the Unlimited Club, what it does is it gives you access to a couple things. One, it'll give you access to a bench cam where during the game, you can actually talk to players on the bench. Okay. During the weekly drafts that I mentioned, um, one of the cool things is, so you have four captains, right, selecting their teams. For anybody who's done like a fantasy draft, it has that kind of feeling to it. But what you get to do as a member of the Unlimited Club is you get to go in the draft room with the captain and the players that are going to be selected and, and be kind of hear what they're thinking about for the next pick. So the kind of behind the scenes access, if you're watching a, a traditional draft and you sure. see a GM and the scouts on the phones, you actually get to be on that phone call and hear what's happening and how they're talking about it. It's all done via Zoom. So you're you're like in the Zoom room and hear hear what they're doing and how they're thinking about it. So that's kind of access. And then finally, you actually vote on game MVPs. And that's the third element of the scoring system. I mentioned the games and the sets, and then I mentioned, you know, the individual points. But there's also what we call an MVP vote. And the fans contribute to the MVP vote. Um, alongside the players. So that's a really cool aspect of it. And then, you know, we do virtual meet and greets. So even though it's in COVID and, you know, fans can come to the game, you know, you have a chance to meet players, get signed autographs, all that stuff. So we've really created a pretty robust experience. No matter where you live, you really should be able to get a chance to feel like you, you know, have interacted with and, and, and got to meet the players and your favorite players. And the Unlimited Club, we, you know, we just think is a is a great opportunity to really connect fans with the league. Yeah, yeah, no, it makes sense. Where do you see yourself kind of fitting into the ecosystem, you know, between, you know, college and, you know, high school? I mean, I imagine at some point, you know, you might have some college kids uh, be able to participate, especially with name, image, and likeness kind of coming coming on on online here soon. How do you see your your league kind of fitting in between all, all of that? So, I mean, we're, we're distinctly a pro league. Um, and for now, you know, 
almost every every player that's that's come through here, I guess, has played. Certainly, every American player has been has, is a college grad, and I think that will continue to be the the idea. We'd obviously, you know, as we think about softball this year and this spring, um, you know, we're going to kind of have our version of a draft where we kind of announce the softball players that have been selected that are you know graduating seniors, and I think that'll be an exciting moment when they're you know finding out who they're going to play for professionally. But I think a big focus for us in terms of you know the sports in this, in these country and, and what, what we're focused on is we're really focused. And, and this has largely come from the athletes. I mean, I think it's what I believe too, but really it's the athletes who've said they care a lot about making sure that young kids who don't have financial resources have access to these sports. I think one of the big issues in the United States is that, you know, sports and access to sports and youth sports participation is going down pretty dramatically. And so one of the biggest barriers is youth sports costing a lot of the rise of travel teams, kids having to, and parents having to spend a lot of money. And, and I think collectively the athletes, and we agree as executives, like that a big thing is to make sure the kids who don't necessarily have financial resources have access to, to these sports at a young level. And that's a huge piece. And, and, and along with that goes, racial diversity and, and making sure that these sports are inclusive of, you know, people from all backgrounds, regardless of, of whatever other criteria, you know, sure. stereotypes may exist. Sure, sure. You have a relationship with USA Volleyball with, with this league specifically, correct? Absolutely. They've been amazing partners. Yeah. Tell us about that. And uh, also, I think I had a question for you a couple of days ago, you know, are you sanctioned by FIVB and kind of how, how that works and what role kind of does, does your league play in, in that sort of bigger ecosystem, right, throughout the sort of national and international play? Yeah. So when we first started out with the idea of kind of doing something in volleyball, first we've looked for a partner in each of the sports. So in softball, we reached out to someone in volleyball. So I reached out to USA Volleyball and lacrosse. We do the same thing and, and say, okay, listen, hey, we've got this idea. What do you think? How would people in the sport respond? How would you go about doing it? And Jamie Davis in USA Volleyball was tremendous. You know, he's I think they've always wanted to, to kind of had a have another pro league come back into the United States, and they wanted to make sure it was being done in the right way and the right people behind it. And so Jamie kind of vetted us, I think, and asked us a lot of questions. Yeah. And really, we, we kind of we talked for a while, and then you know he he brought us in, and, and we spent more time with actually with Karch Karai and did the same thing, and then we got introduced to the players themselves, and they were like, "Listen, you know, we'll put in front of the players, we're not going to speak for them." But Jamie. And USA Volleyball um, have sanctioned the league, and they are strategic partners. So they're helping us grow it and, and, and build it. And I think they obviously are, are excited about this opportunity. And, and you know, but but every step of the way, you know, Jamie and Karch have just said, "Listen, the players are the ones to decide. We're not going to make the decision. You tell us." And and they've just been good in, in helping us kind of put all the, the pieces together and helping us navigate it all along. So that's been terrific. Yeah. And then we haven't had much of a relationship with FIVB. So I think we're, we're, we're certainly see ourselves as a collaborator with the international system as best as possible. And obviously we've gone through you know, transfer processes for some, some of the players internationally and everything, all that has to kind of be figured out. And so that we're, what we're squared away on, but, but obviously we're not a traditional league in the, sure. in the sense of, of other leagues that are, that are around the world. Yeah. So, John, as we close the conversation here, tell us where can people find out more about the league? Uh, I know you mentioned it during the conversation also, but, you know, specifically, you know, websites and kind of links to uh, where folks can go and when they can watch it. Yeah, terrific. So so the website's auprosports.com. And same is on our social handles. I encourage everyone to obviously check us out on Instagram and Twitter, Facebook, of course, and um, and TikTok. If you're for any of those people, you know, who are listening who are on TikTok, we got an amazing TikTok account. 
but AU Pro Sports is the handle. And then when you go to our go to our website, you know, you drop down to the schedule and you'll be able to see where the the matches are. The twenty seventh we kick off and you can see, you know, get linked right in there to to the to the streaming services or you know, to Fox Sports One or Fox Sports Two or CBS. And and actually we have a finder on our on our webs on our website too. So if you don't know where to find CBS Sports Network on the dial, you just put in your zip code and it'll tell you kind of where it is on your on your cable dial. And then um no one has cable dials, but I just said that. It's like a, <laughs> that's a, that's a good one from back in the day. But yeah, that's what I encourage people to really follow us on social and, uh, we're excited. And I hope people, if people are into it, I, I suggest everybody signs up for the unlimited club and joins the rookie tier for free. And what you have to do to join the rookie tier is pick a player that's your favorite player to follow. And then that player will kind of send you individualized communications, which is pretty cool. So you'll get your like individualized communications from now on how the season's going. Excellent. Well, John, best of luck. Thanks. It's going to be an amazing uh, show, I'm sure. We're certainly going to be watching here in my family. I have a, I have a freshman high schooler who's on a, who's on a volleyball team, so we'll be we'll be watching it. But uh, yeah, I look forward to chatting with you. You know, post season and then into the next sport as you guys you know develop this this league and uh, others. Thank you so much. Thanks for taking the time and, and really appreciate it. And uh, look forward to staying in touch. Okay, Anand, what do you think about that conversation? I think they've got a really fascinating concept on how a pro sports league could be run. And this looks like a, a nice kind of beta test for what the future might hold in a different way to allow professional athletes to play pro sports. I know when we were talking offline, you described this more like a tournament uh, as yeah. opposed to a league. Uh, I get I get the hybrid between the two because it's over a very short period of time. But if you could do this two or three times a year, you know, once they kind of figured out how the operations work, the logistics work, and you know, the, the numbers as well, I, I think it's fascinating. Yeah, and that's something that that he talked a little bit about also, and he and he said that you know with softball they're considering doing doing it twice a year, and I think they're probably going to do the same, and consider that for volleyball also. Yeah, the big question is, you know, this is a month long event, let's call it a tournament essentially, right? And I do wonder, obviously in one month, you know, these athletes are not going to make enough money to, you know, live for a year, obviously, right? So the so the question then is who ends up being part of this competition and can they sustain it in such a way that it becomes a profitable venture for everybody, especially the athletes, right? Who, you know, need to make money and eat and yeah. all that kind of stuff. So I think there are some win-wins here because the elite athletes are playing for a short period of time. Yeah. Okay? They're getting, hopefully going to get paid reasonably well. I mean, he talked about, you know, if you play this year, you're going to get recurring revenues, you know, for the next 20 years, you know, yeah. depending yeah. on how often you participate. So there's a win for the athletes because they're giving a small portion of their time to something that could pay bigger rewards in the future. But you mentioned they have some athletes coming out of college, right, who are not necessarily right. big stars who get to participate in a sport in which they love. Yeah. And this is an extension of that. And participate economically. That's right. Yeah. And play the game they love. I like the concept. I think it's Yeah, I, I do too. I'm I, it's 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 sort of interesting also. I, I'm I'm gonna enjoy it. I think it's it's innovative, which is really great. You know, as a as a former sort of team sports athlete, you know, what's interesting to me is that they are focused on, you know, how each individual performs and you're gonna have this leaderboard, you know, look at what individually how they're doing against one another you know you were always kind of taught as a team athlete you know you all you know lose together or you win together 
So this is going to be a little interesting, you know, how how that dynamic might play itself out. But I'm anxious to see it. Coach Thompson would have told you, there's no I in team, Vlad. <laughs> That's Something right. like that. That's right. Yeah. All right, Anand, let's go into overtime. This is our final segment of the show. It's a little item of note that we both found interesting. And a little item it is, Anand. It's the little patch. Three, three square inches. Jersey patch. That, that's all it is. It's just three square inches, as little as that. That's right. So the Lakers, the Lakers are marketing their patch, and they are estimating uh, a value of $200 million, which I thought was, uh, was a very interesting number. What do you think about this? Well, they've got to start somewhere, I suppose. I'm not sure where the $200 million comes from, because we know that uh, their current patch sponsor, Wish, the internet retailer and yep. uh, you know provider of some e-commerce apps paid in the region of uh, 12 to 14 million dollars a year on a 3-year deal how has that uh, been elevated 8x in the period of 1 year i'm not sure i don't know well, what that means is that over a period of 5 years 200 million is a very random number but i get the point they they there is a there is a significant value to that logo placed in a prominent location on a big team's jersey. Yeah, yeah, and that's exactly right. I think the value doesn't imply the cost. If they paid, you know, twelve to fourteen million, you know, you would assume that the value was at least double what they paid. Yeah, right? They had a return of some kind on that. Exactly, yeah. exactly. Uh, but but this is also a kind of a new phenomenon in 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 U.S. sports, and and the NBA has only been playing around with this concept for the last couple of years. So as you know, some of the this was kicked off a couple of years ago, and some of the all of the teams got somebody on their on their jersey, but it was primarily you know locally headquartered companies. So you know, GE was with the Boston Celtics, Firestone was with Cleveland, Wish was with with LA, Rakuten was was in the Bay Area, and I wonder if it was really successful, right? And now the Lakers have hired this firm in in Miami, Sport Five to probably look at this globally. I mean, the Lakers are a global enterprise or a global brand. And so they're saying, you know, maybe we can expand this uh, across the board. It's interesting, you know, who is going to be wearing these patches, right? So, you know, you and I know the value here really is LeBron and Anthony Davis, <laughs> right? Yeah. Not everybody, not everybody's valued uh, equally, I think, uh, on, on the Lakers squad, but it's an interesting proposition. Well, I think the the theme of our show today really is looking at the the power of the individual and the marketability and the brand equity that the individual brings to the team. I think this will be a very interesting case study to see what Sport Five does with this contract that they've got and what numbers are finally agreed. I think it will lay down a marker for the sport, the league, the NBA. Yep. What 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 a brand on a shirt, uh, on a jersey brings. Other teams are going to be looking at this more closely. Now, this, as you said, Vlad, is a relatively new phenomenon in the U.S. You know, jerseys typically are not branded in the NFL right. uh, with right. a third-party brand. Sure, Nike, you know, is on most team jerseys, and so they pay for the privilege of 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 having their brand on the jerseys. But we've not had a third party commercial sponsor before. That's right. This, That's of course, right. has been prevalent in other sports around the world for many years. And we look at European football or European soccer for the for the more prominent brand partnerships and the more, more most lucrative ones as well. Right, the top five currently: uh, Manchester United with Chevrolet. 
Chevrolet pay them 72 million euros a year. Wow. To, okay. Uh, to be front and center on their on their team jerseys, both home and away jerseys. Uh, Real Madrid have Emirates Airlines uh, coming in a close second at 70 million euros a year. Yeah. And then PSG have uh, Accor, the hotel brand, at 60 million euros. Liverpool have Standard Chartered. And then Barcelona uh, wrap it off, wrap off the the top five with the Rakuten. Yeah, yeah. Big global brands seen all over the world. I think the value really comes down to eyeballs. You know, who, how many people are watching these teams play globally, and who has the stars? Who has the stars? That's exactly right. That's exactly right. And I think this two hundred number, a two hundred million dollar number, is going to be caught by a lot of eyes in uh, football and baseball and uh, college football and college basketball. And I wouldn't be surprised if we start seeing, you know, patches appear in all these other sports and more than one patch too. Yeah. Right? I mean, I think this is, this is coming. So it will be interesting. I'm surprised it's taken this long personally, but uh, yes, this is if the NBA have started. The others are going to follow suit. Yeah. Agreed. All right. Well, thank you for your time. We know that if you're listening to this show, you know how to subscribe to podcasts. So hit that subscribe button, tell your friends and family about us. And if you'd like to get in touch, please connect with us. Our contact information is in the show notes. Anand, good game. Great game, Vlad. Folks, thanks for listening. See you guys soon.